Let us turn in God's Word tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. A little bit lengthier of a chapter, so we're not going to read all of the verses. We will read 1 through 9 and then jump ahead to verse 24 at that point. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as myself. But every man hath his proper gift of gun, one after this manner, and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. And going ahead to verse 24. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, she shall have, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both They that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness, it is without anxiety or fear. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how 
she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his scriptures. The text that we consider this evening is verses 7 and 8 of this chapter. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, For I would that all men were even as myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we continue in this evening progressing with our series of sermons on marriage. A number of weeks ago, before I departed for classes and pulpit supply, we looked at preparations, God's word about how to prepare for marriage. And we saw from the word of God that the single Christian young person who seeks a mate is not at liberty to go out and find anyone from the world to choose as a mate. But there are limitations set by the Word of God. We are only to seek marriage with one with whom we have spiritual unity. Amos 3, verse 3, can to walk together except they be agreed. It is important that the young woman and the young man who aspire to be joined together in that holy state of marriage be living as those who are one in faith before the Lord. They are not to be unequally yoked. And this sermon... Now we look at a different, albeit related, subject. What if it is the will of the Lord for me that I not marry? What if I am a single 
young person or a single older person. And through the passing of the years, the will of the Lord has become made more and more clear to me that it is evidently not His will that I marry. How am I to handle this? How am I to view the single life? It's something that I personally have some experience in, having not married until what generally would be considered later in life. And having lived through a number of years myself as a single individual, I can relate to and understand some of the difficulties that accompany the single life. But at the same time, I can testify of this, that the grace of God is sufficient even in, and perhaps especially in, the single life. And so let's look this evening at the words of the Apostle Paul where he says in verse 8, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, Paul, abide as a single person. The goodness of the single life. First we'll face the question, truly, is this truly the case? that the single life is good, and there acknowledge some of the difficulties that come with the single life. Second, then look at the fact, truly, period, for God's Word asserts it. And then third, be led to exclaim from our hearts that truly, exclamation mark, the single life is good. Who is Paul addressing here are two categories that he calls attention to in verse 8. I say therefore to the unmarried and the widows. The widows and the widowers are one category, and then the unmarried are another category. The widows and widowers are those who once were married, who once had a spouse, but then through death, God has taken that spouse from the individual. In our day and age, it is most common that one becomes a widow or a widower later on in life, when one is advanced in years. But it was much more common back in the day of the Apostle Paul for a spouse to be taken at a young age. They did not have the advancement in technology and medicine and health care that we have today, which has enabled us to live longer lives generally than what they were able to live at the time of the writing of this text. And so it would not be uncommon then at that point in time for there to be a young widow, a woman who would be left behind without her spouse, and that young woman could even have children who would be dependent upon her care and her provision for them. 
And so Paul, speaking to that widow, perhaps young or perhaps old, says to that widow or widower that it is good for you to abide even as I. This is not required of you. This is not a law that if God takes your spouse away from you that you must remain in the single state. That's what a couple of verses prior Paul is communicating there when he says in verse 6, but I speak this by permission and not by commandment. And what he means that he speaks this by permission is not that, well, this is just my personal idea, but it's not given to me by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There are some who would interpret it that way, that this is simply Paul's personal take on the matter of marriage or the single life, but it's not something that was given him by the commandment of the Holy Spirit. That's not what Paul means in verse 6 when he says, I speak this by permission and not by commandment. But rather what Paul means there is, this is something that you are permitted to do. You as a single person, or you as a widow or widower, are permitted to marry or remarry if God has taken your spouse from you. But this is not a commandment. You do not have to find a spouse. In fact, Paul says it is good for them if they abide even as I. And so the first category are the widows and the widowers. The second category that Paul addresses here are the unmarried those who are virgins. Now within this category of those who are unmarried, there are two subcategories, two two groups that can be found within that larger category of those who never have married. And the first category of those who never have married consists of those who do not desire to marry. Those who are able to control their yearnings, their desires even for intimacy, physical intimacy, and who thus are content in the single life and even would desire to remain in the single life. They are those who have been given by God the gift of continence. And thus they do not, as Paul says in verse 9, burn with desire for that physical union that God gives in marriage. That's one category of those who are unmarried, of those who are able to exercise control over their yearnings, and who are content in the single life. And in the day and age in which we live, it is necessary at this point, to, at this time, to point out that if one is given the gift of continence by God, if one is not burning with lust, or desire, that does not mean that there is something 
wrong with you. We live in a day and age in which there is a sexual revolution that is occurring. And there is much information, yea, much false information that is being given about desires for intimacy or the lack thereof. And the world would have one to think that if they do not have strong desires for yearnings with someone of the opposite sex, that then perhaps that means that you have been either misgendered or perhaps that you are looking for the wrong type of person, that you are looking to the wrong sex. Perhaps it means the world would suggest that you are attracted to someone of the same sex. And so, if you do not have these strong yearnings, these burnings in your heart for intimacy with someone the opposite, then, well, perhaps look at someone of the same and see if that will ignite a passion within you. Or, the world would say, perhaps it's because you have been misgendered. Perhaps you have been given the wrong identity, the wrong gender at the time of your birth. And so if you seek then to have your outward, your outward physicality be in conformity with your inward desires, that is, if you change your gender, then that will assist you in having these types of yearnings. And the world comes up with all sorts of ways that corrupt what God teaches plainly in His Word. There are some who do not have as strong of yearnings as others. Paul states that in the seventh verse, but every man hath his proper gift, his his unique personal gift, of God, one after this manner, and another after that. And so there is then a spectrum of desires given by God Himself, one after this manner, and another after that manner. Some have strong yearnings, they burn as the Apostle Paul says, and God created them that way, and they must not be ashamed of the fact that God created them with that strong yearnings. But to others, God has not given them that same type of strong yearnings and desires, but God has given unto them the gift of continence, the ability to curb those desires and exercise restraint over them. And if somebody is able to exercise restraint over those desires, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with that individual. It doesn't mean that they have to experiment with things as the world would call and encourage them to experiment. But it simply means this, beloved, that God has given unto that individual a differing amount of yearning and desire than He has given others. And this is God's gift unto you. It's something that you are not to be ashamed of if God gives unto you less desire than what He gives to others. 
To some, God gives this gift, and to others, God gives that gift. The unmarried. So we've looked now at the unmarried, at those whom God has given the ability to be content in the single life. But then the other category, the subcategory, those who are unmarried, consists of those who, although they have not been given a spouse, desire it. We're informed that this group of people on the earth is becoming larger and larger, that there are more and more people who wish that they could find a spouse, but who have not yet been given a spouse. These persons have not been given the gift of continence. These persons have yearnings, even strong yearnings, for the intimate love that can be shared in marriage. And yet, we might say, the single life has been thrust upon them. Altogether, apart from their desire, they are single. And it's especially to that category that we speak tonight, recognizing the difficulty of living in such a position. How is it that to that individual who has yearnings, even strong yearnings, yearnings given unto him or her by God Himself, and yet that person is not given a spouse, and it's a struggle for that individual not to be married. And now here the Word of God says it's good for them to abide in the single life. How difficult it can be for the young person to be able to acknowledge this truth. The young person looks forward to marriage and is excited about the prospect of Marriage, and then they come to their later teens, and they come into their younger twenties, and God doesn't give them a spouse. And now the minister is going to say, This is good for you. Let's examine why is it that we in the single state can struggle with contentment. Here, why it can be hard for us to acknowledge that it is good to abide in the single state. Part of our struggle could arise out of our knowledge even of the Scriptures. We know that in the Scriptures, the state of marriage is exalted by God. That in the beginning, when Adam was in the garden, the Word of God was that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And so God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam and created from one of his ribs the woman. And later on in the New Testament, we see that Jesus Christ himself celebrated the goodness of marriage by attending that wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. And there he turned the water into wine for those who were rejoicing at the time of marriage. And yet now, the word of God is, it is good to be single? 
And then added to that, there is this level, this, this aspect that makes it more difficult for single persons to be content in the single life. And that's this. It's the pressure, either real or perceived, that is put on us from others to find a spouse. It starts out already even in junior high where classmates start teasing one another about getting into a relationship, about having an interest in someone else, about who are you going to marry someday? And then the family members chime in and say, well, you should date this person or you should date that person. And so you feel this sort of pressure that I really ought to be dating and I really ought to be married. And Then you get to your upper 20s and they don't joke about it anymore. Now it's sober, and it's sad, and maybe I'm never going to marry. And suddenly there's this hush as the sad reality sets in that I might never marry. Because of the pressure, real or perceived, that comes from others, we can feel as if we're not living up to our full potential if we remain in a single state. And yet the Word of God is, it's good. And then as well, there's this that can add to the difficulty of contentment in a single life. And it's, it's our love and appreciation as a denomination for the doctrine of the covenant. A covenant that we believe and teach and preach is established with believers and with their seed. And because of this emphasis that is put on the covenant and living a covenant life wherein one marries and brings forth children and then rears up those children and sends those children to the good Christian school, that then one who does not get married and have children feels almost as if they are excluded from covenant life. Is it good to be single? Beloved congregation, we bring up these various aspects uh, that can lead to difficulty with contentment in the single life, not to encourage anyone to go home and say, well, because of these reasons, it is okay if I as a single person am upset that I am not married. This is not to give to the single individuals a license to complain, to hold on to bitterness, to be envious of those whom God has given the gift of marriage. But we mention these things, beloved, because it is good and even necessary that we be able to give a voice to the feelings that we as single persons can have. And at times we can feel almost as if we are living secondary lives, that we are second-rate Christians, that there's one level of Christianity and then there's another level of Christianity, and that someday I'm going to get to that point of being married and living this higher, first-rate Christianity life, but for now I must resign myself to this second-rate Christian life of being a single person in the church. 
it is good and appropriate to be honest about your struggles in the single life and even to talk about them. And the first person, single people, whom you should talk to about your struggles in the single life is God. Go to Him and pour out the cries of your heart. Is it good? Is it truly good to be a single person in the church? The Word of God is, yes, truly, period. It is good. Paul says, filled with the Spirit, verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good, honorable for them, if they abide even as I. But now before we look to unpack the meaning of how it is good to abide as a single Christian, let's make sure that we understand carefully here the precise language that the Apostle Paul uses here. There are two things that Paul does not say about the single state. There are, as it were, two ditches, two errors that one could make here with regard to the single life. The one ditch that one could fall into is the ditch, the error that is made by the Roman Catholic Church. Instead of saying, it is good that they abide even as I, what would the Roman Catholic Church say about the single life? They would say it is better to abide even as I. They would say that there is something inherently superior to living as a single person before Jehovah God. And thus, you really ought as a young person to strive to be celibate. And if you are going to enter into vocation in the Roman Catholic Church, if you are going to become a priest or a clergyman, And you have to take a vow of celibacy because that is exalted above the married state. It is only because of the weakness of the flesh that one gets married, but those who are truly pure and those who are truly upright and godly, they they don't need that crutch of marriage. They're strong enough of themselves to live as a single person. That's the one ditch that we must be guarded against here. The Word of God does not say it is better to remain in the single state. We must, as single persons, not allow those thoughts to creep into our minds either. To have some sort of pride. Give ourselves a pat on the back that, well, I'm stronger than these other people who had to resort to marriage. No, the Word of God doesn't say it's better. It says it's good. But then the other ditch that we must not fall into, the other thing that Paul does not say here is that it is worse to abide 
even as I. It is not better to be single, nor is it worse to be single. And that is the temptation that some struggle with in the single life. Inclined to think that in some sense this is the curse of God that rests upon me. It is because God was, is angry with me. It is perhaps because God has seen my sins in my life. And perhaps one might even be inclined to think it is because God knows of my sexual sins. God knows of how I have lusted. God knows of how I have broken the seventh commandment. And now God is upset with me. He's angry with me. And so now this single life rests upon me as some sort of curse or judgment of God upon me. But that's not what Paul says here. He does not say it is worse to abide even as I. And we who are married must be careful then in the way that we speak of and to single persons, that we do not treat them as some sort of a second-rate Christian. Perhaps in our prayers, without intending to, we can pray for the sick and for the hospitalized and the injured and the single categorizing the single persons right alongside of those who are bearing these grievous and heavy burdens. And in so doing, leave the impression that there's something wrong with them. Paul says it's good. It is good for them to abide even as I. But how? How? And here we face that difficult, practical question. How is it truly good to abide in the single state? Two things that the Word of God teach us here about how it is good and how it is honorable. In the first place, it is good to abide in the single state exactly because this is God's gift unto you. It might not feel that way. It might be difficult to receive it that way. But that is the Word of God. Verse 7, he teaches, Paul teaches this truth. For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God. One after this manner, and another after that. Every man is given, every child of God is given, his gift of God. And to some that is the gift of marriage, for they have strong yearnings and desires, and to other that is the gift of the single life. And the word in the original here is striking. The word that is used, that is translated here as gift, 
is this, beloved. It is grace. This is the grace of God. The gracious gift of God to you. That you abide in the single state even as Paul lived as a single man. This is a gracious, a beautiful, and a pleasant gift that is given in divine favor from Jehovah Himself unto you. Every child of God is given His gift. His proper gift. His unique gift. Some are given the gift of marriage, and others are given the gift of the single life. But regardless of what the specific gift is, whether it be marriage or the single life, the unchanging reality is this is God's gracious gift unto me. How is it that this is a gracious gift of God regardless of whether it be marriage or the single life? It's gracious, beloved, because this gift is used by God to transform us into the image of God's only begotten Son. Whether God gives us marriage or whether God gives us the single life, God gives unto us this proper gift for this purpose that we might be made holy even as God is holy. And for some, the gift of God is this, that God is going to use marriage as God's gift unto them whereby they might be kept holy and pure and free from burning in lust. But to others, the gift of God is this, that God is going to give them the single life. And through the means of that single life, God is going to direct their faith and their attention unto their beloved Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who alone delivers them from temptation. A gracious gift. This does not mean, beloved, that it is an easy gift to receive. We must not imagine that the Apostle Paul as a single man who labored diligently in the early New Testament church did not himself have to fight to remain pure and holy in the single life. When the Apostle Paul confessed that he learned in whatsoever state he was therein to be content, that includes, beloved, the state of the single life. He learned in that single life to be content. It is not by removing trials and burdens from the single person, but through the way of fighting against temptations that God is pleased to change single persons so that they resemble more and more Jesus Christ. A gift of grace. God gives it to you because He loves you. And because He wants you to lean on the finished work of God's own Son. 
But then second, how is it that this is a good gift, a good state to be in? It is good, beloved, because according to the Word of God, you are given greater and more opportunities to serve Jehovah and His church. Verse 32, this comes out. Paul says, but I would not have you to be without carefulness. That is, don't don't be worried, don't be anxious about this. He that is unmarried, single person, careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. And then a little bit later, verse 35, he says again, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye, the single person, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Here the Apostle Paul draws a contrast between the ability of the married person to seek and to serve the Lord and the ability of the unmarried person to seek and to live as a servant of the Lord. And what the Apostle Paul speaks of here is the fact that the married person, because of the responsibilities that he has in his marriage, is going to be cumbered down with the things of this earth. The married person who is living in a God-honoring marriage, who loves his spouse is going to have to devote much energy and much time to the care and devotion of his spouse and the children which are given unto them. And this is an exacting and a demanding task. It takes energy. Energy that husbands and wives oftentimes feel that they don't have to be able to care for one another, to provide for the home, to rear up the children, to discipline the children. And thus it is that the married persons are cumbered down with the things of this earth. But the Word of God to the single person is, you don't have those obstacles that would prevent you from seeking Jehovah and from attending to the Lord without distraction. You are given opportunities that are not afforded unto the married individual. There are so many different ways in which you as single persons can serve Jehovah and His covenant. There are ways that you can serve in the church and in the school. There are ways that you can serve with your time and with your energy, volunteering, helping out, serving on committees of the church, evangelism, nursery, building committees, other committees of the church. There's informal work that you young people or unmarried persons can do as part of the church. You can go visit the sick and the afflicted. You are not burdened down day by day with the weight of the responsibilities of caring for your spouse and for your children. And so you can go visit the elderly. 
And oftentimes, if one remains in the single life for a number of years, then that means that God gives unto you financial opportunities to assist and help in serving the causes of the kingdom. It is not uncommon that some of the most generous donors to the church and the school are those who have not been given marriage. But those who are unmarried, you must face then this question, is that what I am doing? Am I using my free time, my energy, my money, the skills and talents that God has given unto me for the good of His kingdom in this world. You see, the world would have you do the exact opposite. The world would have you live a self-centered, pleasure-seeking Lifestyle. Single? Good. That means I get to do what I want, when I want, and nobody is going to tell me otherwise. Single? Good. That means I can work hard to get a big income so I can buy this toy that I've had my eyes on for a long time. Single? Ah. That means I can, with a quiet conscience, sit in front of the TV and watch sports game after sports game after sports game because I don't have the obligations of marriage and of rearing up a family. Unmarried persons, how do you use your time? There's a correlation that I have observed. The correlation is between how a single person uses their time and the amount of contentment that they have in the single life. The more time that the single person spends in the pursuit of selfish or self-centered ambitions, the more likely they are to struggle with discontent in the single State. It is a good gift. It is a gracious gift that God has given unto you that you can use your time and energy for the cause of God's kingdom. But are we able to say, single persons, truly, exclamation mark, that yes, This is the earnest conviction of my heart that it is good for me to abide in the single state. Or is it something that perhaps begrudgingly we submit ourselves unto? For the single person truly to believe that it is good to abide in that single life is likely going to require a change in one's desires. Rare, if not altogether absent, is the person who as a young, from a young age, naturally desires to want to remain as a single person. 
Most young people begin to think about marriage and to think about finding a mate. They desire that sort of companionship. And that desire of itself to have a mate. Again, God gives to each their proper gift, one after this manner and another after that. And so to desire to have a mate is not wrong, but what can happen is this desire to have a spouse becomes an idol. Where one lives their life consumed with the thought of finding a spouse. They dream about it. They wish for it. They are disappointed, upset when they don't have it. When it becomes an idol in our lives, then it saps us of our spiritual joy and energy. Instead of being able to worship God with zeal and with fervor and with thanksgiving unto God for all that He has given to me, it becomes a drudgery to go to church. The single person might even reach the point where they hardly even want to go to church anymore because it's just another reminder of the fact that God has given marriage unto so many others, and here sit I. And I'm trying not to be angry, and I'm trying not to be bitter against the Lord, but it is so hard for us truly to believe that it is good requires a change in our will. Jesus, in the model prayer, teaches us to pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It is not enough for us simply to acquiesce to the single life But we must pray that God grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey His will. The encouragement that God gives to the single person struggling with contentment is this. You have already the perfect marriage with Jesus Christ. See, God has established earthly marriages to be patterned after the perfect marriage, the heavenly marriage. And that heavenly marriage is the reality that God has given unto every single one of His children. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 24, Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. God gives unto you single persons the ability to abide with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. God does not view you 
as a second-rate Christian. God does not have any less love in you or any less affection in His heart for you. But God loves you as single persons so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for you. And so when you have within you that longing for companionship, when you have that ache in your heart for a spouse who can live with you and dwell with you, then remember, beloved single persons, that God places those desires in your heart so that you would desire Him and find in Him all that you need. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we confess that at times Thy Word can be very difficult for us, and that apart from faith we would not believe it. But Father, wilt Thou fill us with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that we might be more and more united unto Jesus Christ, And with the perspective of faith, that they'll give us the ability to see that it is good to abide, even as the Apostle Paul did in the single life. Forgive whatever was done or said in sin, and bless us in this week ahead. For Jesus' sake, amen.